This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into another episode of the Otson Audible's podcast. Eric Scofel, Jared Mack here on this Monday morning show, a show, by the way, we were not planning on having. Uh, we've talked about it this week. We're going to have a Monday evening hot stove transfer portal reaction show. I think we'll still do that. Um, but Oregon has in the interim announced a, or not, they haven't officially announced, but numerous no. reports indicate that Texas San Antonio's Will Stein will be Oregon's next offensive coordinator replacing Kenny Dillingham, who took the Arizona State job about nine days ago, eight days ago, eight days ago. Pretty good, pretty good in terms of just the, the timeline here, which uh, apparently we, we joked about it, gosh, like what, eight hours ago when we were on our last podcast? Yeah, <laughs> it's that, ridiculous. Uh, that, Dan, that Dan, we asked, I asked Dan, like, what's the timeline for a decision? He said somewhere between now and when it happens. Well, the answer ended up being like very soon. Like 10 hours. Yeah. <laughs> like not even 10 hours. Um, we, we postponed recording this a little bit. I wanted to get my bearings a little bit more, learn a little bit more about Will Stein so we could kind of inform you because I'll be honest. Um, and we'll, we'll, we should know, Matt won't be on this podcast, but we think he'll be on the evening show. He is um, in transit from Los Angeles where he covered the Oregon-UCLA men's basketball game Sunday afternoon. Um, but I wanted to get my bearings on this. I think Jared felt the same way because mm -hmm. there were a lot of names listed. I think Will was somebody who was like maybe kind of on the periphery. I didn't know a ton about Will Stein going into this, and I thought we should probably have some answers for the listeners of just who this guy is. So um i just like brief background here uh this makes two consecutive offensive coordinators i've been older than which is uh pretty remarkable go eric go me i'm only 33 i don't feel like i'm that old but kenny dillingham <laughs> was 32 and we just did the math on will he's 33 uh at the same age as me but about four months younger born in september i'm an april baby and aries over here um so <laughs> uh just kind of checks the boxes of keeping the i guess the continuity with the young coaches and Somebody who, if you kind of dig into, and we'll get into some of the stats and the information, I think you should be pretty excited about in terms of the trajectory of, of kind of the coaches Oregon has brought in with Dan Lanning. He's not been afraid to kind of go after, I don't want to say unproven coaches, but certainly younger coaches that aren't necessarily household names. I mean, Will Stein is not somebody who, again, when I saw the name pop, I, I went, okay, I've seen that name. I don't know much about him. I need to do a deep dive. And went and did that, um, I'll kind of – go into detail with what I've learned, Jared, but kind of what are your initial kind of feelings about this hire and then kind of where it sets the team up right now? Oh, man, I'm not I, I won't sit here and pretend like I knew immediately the background of Will Stein. I'd seen his name um, 
when he was eventually named a OC or co-OC for UTSA. But I won't sit here and be like, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I knew exactly who this was. I knew exactly what he's about. Um, so immediately it was just a quick deep dive, like, like Eric said, into what he, what he does and then watching game tape and then listening to interviews or reading interviews that he's done. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm, uh, this is something um, that you know, we talked about yesterday on the podcast, or at least I did, where I'm like, I think they're going to go young, just like they have with basically all of their coaches, um, except for a few like Joe Lorg. But uh, the same idea as Kenny Dillingham, where it's a young guy who's – I know Dillingham was probably more proven than Stein is just because he had worked at Auburn and Florida State – but a very similar path, um, somebody who just climbs through the or the rankings as an offensive coordinator. I mean, he was coaching Texas high school football just a couple of years ago. He had only been at UTSA since 2019, um, was the total or was a, announced a co-offensive coordinator for last season, but was in control of play calling. So that was all his doing. Um, I'm a fan of the hire. I'm glad that they're keeping it young. I'm glad that they're keeping it an exciting offense. I mean, just a, a few things from the the film that I watched or the game highlights that I watched. Um, it's a, it reminds me very similar of what Kenny Dillingham runs. It's a lot of quick hits, it's a lot of easy throws, which is was a mainstay in Kenny Dillingham Dillingham's offense. That's why Bo Nix was second in the country. I think he eventually finished second in the country in completion percentage. But quick hits. Um, there's a video of him going around at a coaching clinic where he talks about what he wants from his offense. And that's, um, get the balls to the playmakers, which is great. Good idea. Um, run hard, run physically, another good idea. And then take a bunch of deep shots down the field, which again is very familiar to what Oregon just went through and Kenny Dillingham and his offense. Um, overall I'm, I'm excited I've got like some random stats to throw out, but I'll, I'll toss it to you quickly for, just what your what your thoughts were after doing a little bit of research. Well, just to kind of expand some of his some of his uh, I guess biography of who he is and where he's come mm-hmm. from. This is a uh, a quarterback who played at Louisville in from 2008 to 2012. Was I don't think ever a full time starter for the Cardinal, but um, had decent success over uh, over a four year period of time. You know, competing in games, ended up with six touchdowns and two interceptions. Um, Following his playing career, he'd spent two years at his alma mater uh, in kind of various support roles, one year as a GA, one year in quality control. And then I like to look at this kind of as the, and it's not quite the same because you can't compare Nick Saban in Alabama really to any other, I would say, preparation from a school perspective. But then he went and spent three years at Texas, first under mm-hmm. Charlie Strong and then one year under Tom Herman. And to me, that's kind of the the synonymous and these were, by the way, in similar kind of quality control role, which Dan held when he was at, at Alabama. But that, that to me sort of stands out as his his learning years, right, where he's just kind of trying to figure it out. He surrounds himself with big coaches, one of, them, one of which ends up hiring him um, at Texas San Antonio, trailer, uh, Jeff Trailer, uh, who was the tight ends coach, I believe, at Texas or was at least on staff there in some capacity. I might be getting my, my wires crossed. Maybe he was a tight ends coach before Drew Maringer, who he also coached with at Texas. But those three years, again, I, and we'll have to get – maybe we'll get him on the podcast. We'll certainly do an interview when this is all announced and kind of get more of his background. But I imagine those are the years where he's, you know, in his mid-20s trying to figure out what he wants to do professionally, how he wants to, you know, achieve his highest aspirations as a coach and spending time at a program like Texas. Again, not quite like Alabama, but not many schools have more prestige and kind of rec- you know name recognition 
than the Longhorns. So I think that was a, a clear time where he was kind of in the learning phase. And then he spent the next two years as the offensive coordinator at Lake Travis High School in San Antonio in, in the Texas. So a um, couple of years there and then was hired in 2020 by trailer at Texas San Antonio. Only one year as a play caller uh, collegiately. He did spend both years as a play caller in high school, but I think that's kind of notable of, and you can read into it one of two ways. You can say, gosh, they're hiring another inexperienced offensive coordinator. That's what Kenny Dillingham was. Or you can look at it and say, no, they're hiring somebody who has shown through very limited experience that he's really good at what he does. And I, I think that's what it is because through one year, a debut in the college level, it went about as well as you could ask, right? It's the equivalent to what Dan had at Georgia in his first year as defensive coordinator, where you go, okay, hand in the keys off to somebody who's never really done this before at this level. Let's see what happens. And again, I understand Texas San Antonio is not Georgia, but to go out and we could run through some of the numbers. I know we both kind of probably looked through some of the data, but this is an offense that was top 20 in basically everything. Basically everything. I've got matter. all the stats if you'd like me to just Jared, you've got all the right stats. I'll, I'll toss it to you in a second. But I just think you look at, again, you could look at it and say 33-year-old guy, one year as a, a, as a Division One play caller. Is this too fast? Is this too much, too quick, too soon? Uh, I think the answer is no. You're getting a guy maybe a year or two before other big schools. Or maybe this would have been a guy who would have been hired by fill in the blank school that looks for a coordinator at a later date. But I think Oregon jumps in and grabs a guy who, as Bruce Feldman said in his tweet, is considered one of the faster risers in the college football ranks. And again, a guy who I hate to say it before he's even officially been hired, but you just think if he has the kind of success that many anticipate he will might not be here very long because this might be somebody who, if Oregon's offense really gets humming and again, you don't want to throw right. that out before we even get into the here are his stats and meet him or anything. Yeah. yeah. And all that. Um, but that sort of fits the trajectory. 33 years old, obviously young, hungry, wants to be the best. And, and we'll, I think if he does well at Oregon, will position himself um, to be a head coach sooner than later. So what are the, what are the stats say, Jared? Because I think we looked at a lot of the same stuff. But um, the figures are impressive basically across the board. And then I have some quotes that I want to compare between Dillingham and, and, and Stein yeah. that kind of prove that these two hires maybe are at least philosophically pretty similar. Right, yeah. So Frank Harris was UTSA's quarterback this last season. had a had a great year, threw for thirty eight over thirty eight hundred yards and over thirty touchdowns. Um, as a team, though, I, I just I went primarily based off of team stats because I think that's the better overarching uh, theme to follow when it's an offensive coordinator. Um, eighth and third down conversion percentage in the country. These are all going to be where they rank in the country uh, at forty nine point seven percent. Fifth and completion percentage. We talked. To, I talked about this earlier with. Quick hitters, quick passes, easy throws for their quarterback to make. They finished fifth in the country at 69%. Nice. Um, tied for first and first downs as a team in the country with Utah at 342. So that comes passing first downs, rushing first downs, penalty first downs. They were tied for first in the country. They were second in the country in passing first downs behind Washington. at uh, UTSA had 193, Washington at two, 206. 12th in total passing offense, 308.6 yards per game, tied for seventh in yards per attempt. How often they throw the or how far they throw the ball down the field on every attempt, 8.7. They are tied for seventh with Oregon. I was going to say Very Oregon, similar. right in that range, mm -hmm. right in that range. Right, and uh, UTSA was 17th in red zone offense, so 90.2 percent of all of their red zone trips ended in points. Oregon finished 60th in the country. I don't didn't didn't write down their percentage, but 60th compared to 17th. 
uh, seventh in passing efficiency, overall passing efficiency for UTSA. 162.67 was their passing efficiency. The team right ahead of them in sixth place, Oregon, 162.99. So just a couple couple decimals off there between being tied. Lastly, 12th in points per game at 38.7 and ninth in total offense at 486.1 yards per game. UTSA had 12 of their 13 games of over 400 yards. Uh, four of them went for over 500 yards, and seven of their 13 games went for over 40 points. Um, pretty good. And they averaged, lastly, I have one more thing. Uh, on the season, they averaged six and a half yards per play. It's impressive stuff. And really uh, good. We, we, really should, good. we should note this is a team that I believe won its conference. They won, yeah. On Saturday, they put up forty-eight against North Texas. They won. They won Conference USA. They are an eleven-win team that is probably considered of the non-power five teams one of the top two or three teams in the country. Um, sustained success there as well. I know, obviously, he wasn't the offensive coordinator the two previous years he was there, but he was the pass game coordinator. Um, I think they won, I want to say, 10 games the year before and close to that the year before that. Like, Jeff Trailer has done a great job mm-hmm. at Texas San Antonio. I think he's like 30-9 and nine in three seasons um, down there. That's somebody who I imagine will get a, a bigger job sooner sooner rather than later. Um, but, no, I, I think the stats back up kind of what you what you see in terms of what you've read about him as well. You know, I did there, – there is not a ton – like the difference between coaching at Texas San Antonio and coaching at Florida State or coaching at Georgia or where a lot of these other Oregon coaches came from a year ago is there's just not as much written material. And they're the, the, basically the broad extent of what I was able to find uh, from an interview perspective were YouTube clips of him being interviewed and then a about 15-question Q&A done by our 24-7 sports site covering Texas San Antonio. I, I recommend that. Uh, you go take a look at that. I link to it in my uh, three reasons why I think this is a good hire story regarding Stein. I, I did link to that a couple of times, so you can go find it if you'd like to read it. Um, but it was it was interesting, kind of reading through who he is, what his kind of philosophies are, and I bring that up because I I, I did want to do a I don't know if I've ever done this segment, but a quote comparison because <clears throat> what he says about his offense is virtually identical to what Dillingham said back in February when he was first asked about his offense. I'm just going to read both quotes. This first one is from Dillingham <clears throat> back, in Fe- back in February. I'm looking for explosive playmakers. This is a system made for explosive playmakers. That's it. If you're a playmaker, you want to play in this, in this system. We want to get people touches. We want to be explosive. It's a system built around our players to create the best matchups, and we want to go at a rapid pace. And then here is what Stein said back in August. Our offensive philosophy is always feed the studs. That means we want to get our best players the ball as many times as possible. The great thing about our offense is that it's built to distribute the wealth across the field. We want to make sure we're targeting the right guys in the pass game, targeting the right guys in the run game. It's about matchups. That's the first thing we look at, and it tur- and it turns into scheme after that. So, I mean, I just think philosophically, kind of peel back the layers, you read those kind of two – what I would say are mission statements that both coaches gave at different times about their offenses. Very, very similar, right? You mean, and again, I don't want to oversimplify football, which is, I would say, probably the most complicated sport out there in terms of what happens before each play. I mean, there are 
literally 11 players on one side of the football with 11 different responsibilities and 11 players on the other side of the football with 11 different responsibilities. You've got 22 people out there all doing different things in tandem. It's a very complicated sport. I don't want to say like, oh, this quote indicates they're doing the same thing. But you can see from a philosophical perspective that, that Dillingham and Stein both kind of prioritize similar things, right? They, they want, you know, and it's not rocket science, right? And I'm not trying to make it more than it is, but I just kind of found it interesting reading Stein's quote and then comparing it to what Dillingham had said of, okay, hey, this kind of aligns. You got a guy who, you got guys who want to get the ball to playmakers that they're going to build their offense about a, a, around those matchups and, and prioritizing positive matchups against negative matchups. And obviously, you can say what you want about Dillingham and the way things played out in Corvallis. I know people aren't thrilled with that performance, but I think if you're just being objective, Oregon's offense was really good this year, and Dillingham was a huge part of that. And there were times this year where Dillingham looked like one of the best coordinators in the country. You think about some of those big wins that they had in the middle of the season, even some of the – I mean, I think they've called pretty darn good games down the stretch. I know people aren't thrilled again with some of the stuff in Corvallis, especially the the three, the three four plays near the goal line, but – all in all, I think that was a, a really strong season. So if you're getting another coach who's got similar ideas, a similar kind of philosophy, I think that's, to me at least, um, a pretty big win. And, and a couple other things he said that stood out. Again, there's not as much written material, video out there. There, there is another clip I've seen of him speaking at a coach's clinic where he kind of identifies some pillars of what he wants to do offensively. Um a lot of it sort of aligns with what Dillingham has also said in the past, and, and I thought it stood out to me. Talked about you know winning a violent, dominant run game. I, I think every coach in the country is going to say that, but also saying that there is kind of a minimum number of shots downfield they're going to take per quarter. They want to stretch the field vertically. Two per game, eight. Or sorry, two per quarter, eight per game is kind of the minimum number. Um, the stats bear it out. One of the stats Jared didn't read, but I also pulled up was uh, that they're explosive kind of plays. Um, second nationally and plays over 10 yards. I think you had that one, but also 16 um, of what I define as like explosive, true explosive plays. That's 40 yards or greater with 11 through the air, five on the ground. Clearly an offense that that will stretch you vertically. We saw that this year with Bo Nix have some success throwing the football down the field to, to Troy Franklin, to Chris Hudson, uh, to several other players. I don't think you see that the offense will change too much, Jared. Uh, do you have anything else kind of on the broad base here? Because I, I do have, before we kind of wrap, um, a couple of questions on person, possible personnel that could maybe end up at Oregon in part because of, of Will Stein. I have like a couple more things to add. Nothing crazy, but I, I think you covered covered most of it. And just um, when I watched UTSA play, it was very reminiscent to how Oregon's offense has performed all season. Um and, I, and that's a great thing. That's exactly what you want. You know, when, when Oregon, outside of the Georgia game, when, when they first started to get rolling, especially against Eastern Washington and all the Oregon fans were like, wow, this is what Chip Kelly was like. This is the quick hitters. This is all of these good things. This is exactly what Stein does. This is a guy who's going to make watching Oregon football, especially on offense, fun and like it has been this last year. And I understand that, you know, there's some things towards the end of the season that, People didn't like about Kenny Dillingham's play calling. But like Eric mentioned, overall in the season, they had one of the best statistical offensive seasons they've ever had. And that had Bo Nix at the helm. Um, personnel we'll, we'll get to shortly. I'm sure we're, we're both questioning or have the same questions about the same kind of people here. Um, but they, they going through the stats, they spread it out. I mean, they had three wide receivers this season over 700 yards. They had two of them combined for 
2,000 yards. Uh, one of them's last name was Franklin, so he's going to get used to throwing the ball to Franklin in both both of his offenses here. Um, but again, this is uh, it was another two back system as well in UTSA. Both had over uh, like 600 yards or 700 yards. I think one of them was just shy at 699, but I'll count it as 700. Um, their quarterback ran for almost 600 yards. So you you kind of look and I think we'll we'll just kind of move into the personnel standpoint of, of you look at what they do just from a pure statistical basis. They need a running quarterback. Will Stein will would probably prefer a running quarterback, which Bo Nix, when healthy, was shown to do. Um, and they they're going to have some playmakers on the outside. Um, I think with Will Stein's offense and the amount of talent that Oregon already has on offense and the amount of talent already coming in on offense and the, and the recruiting cycle, um, personnel is going to be really interesting to see how they use it. Um, and I'll, let, I'll let you take it from here and hear what you have to say about, about personnel. Well, okay. So I think we're, we, I think myself, you, and Matt are sort of oper- operating under the expectation that Bo Nix seemingly the odds are better than we thought that he'd come that he's coming back for 23. I think that sure. feels like kind of the consensus. I'm really curious about Hudson card though. Yes. Um, and this Very is, I think we're both thinking the same thing here. It's not just that Hudson card is in the transfer portal. It's not just that he was, I think pretty darn good when he got to play at Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, those unfamiliar, this is a third year player um, started, I don't know, maybe what six games over his career kind of was in and out with some injuries, with some competition with Quinn, Quinn Ewers, um, all of that. But you look at it, the guy completed 66% of his passes through 11 touchdowns, just two interceptions, eight yards per pass attempt. Um, run stuff isn't quite what you would, that uh, isn't comparable to Bo, at least. He had one touchdown on 47 rush attempts, uh, barely ran for a yard per carry. But where this gets interesting is, we mentioned earlier Stein's background as a high school coach. Well, he was the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, assistant coach, when Hudson Card was at the same high school back in Texas. So this is the coach who developed Hudson Card into a four-star top 60 recruit nationally, ends up going to Texas. I just think it's interesting that Card is in the transfer portal. Oregon, we mentioned it not not too long ago, the value of finding another transfer quarterback and kind of the difficulty of what are you pitching? If, if Bo is coming back and, and Dante Moore ends up signing and, you know, even if Ty Thompson chooses to leave, it's still, okay, in the in 2023, clearly you're looking at it being Bo Nix's job. In 2024, they're more than likely hopefully grooming Dante Moore to be that replacement, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But someone like Card, who, again, similar to Dillingham with Nix, has that prior working history you just kind of wonder if this makes too much sense not to happen and again we're, we're not reporting even contact is made or anything like that like we have nothing to report on that but when card's name entered the portal i kind of stocked that away as that could be a name to, to follow and then when you go and hire his high school position coach offensive coordinator to be your new offensive coordinator like the stars are kind of aligning too much just to ignore it and he might end up going a thousand different places that aren't Oregon, but if he right. does end up at Oregon, it would make a lot of sense and would certainly kind of add to some more intrigue here with what happens. Again, if Bo comes back in 2023, I think we obviously know where that's headed, but if Bo chooses to go pro, let's say, Carr would make sense to be someone to bring in to compete to win that starting job with Dante Moore, and let's say Ty Thompson sticks around. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Transfer portal, by the way, in flux. Not a lot of new news today. Maybe we can 
we'll, we'll wrap up uh, the show maybe just kind of with the early early kind of indications of the day. But like, what do you what do you think about the pros and cons of bringing in a Hudson card? Are there really any cons, or does this just make too much sense? I don't really think that there's any cons here. Um, you know, I kind of chose to ignore that Kenny Dillingham had coached Bo Nix and then Bo Nix went to the transfer portal last season mm -hmm. um, because as famously documented, uh, wasn't the biggest fan of Bo Nix transferring here. And then lo and behold, he just needed proper coaching in an offensive line um, to actually unleash his true abilities. Maybe Hudson Card is in the same box. Maybe he's in there, not box, same boat. Maybe he needs an offensive line, which Oregon should be returning um, some talented offensive linemen this, this upcoming season. And with Will Stein, with his understanding of how Hudson Card operates, um, maybe that's what it takes. Wasn't it yes, I, I was not uh, <laughs> at the very beginning. Um, but I don't think that there's any cons here. I think this provides, again, it, it all depends on what Bonex does, because if he elects to come back, there's no way that Hudson Card would want to come to Oregon just because there's no guarantee that he's going to start maybe ever in his in his eligibility that's remaining, because in a hypothetical world, Bonex comes back and Hudson Card transfers in. Unless Nix gets hurt and Dante Moore just isn't ready, then he plays. But if Nix is, is healthy the entire season, he plays the entire year. And then the next season... It's a battle between Moore and, and Card. And if Card just isn't better than Moore, he's the backup for a second straight year. There's no there's no real way that he would come to Oregon just to become the backup. Um, he'd be giving up on himself, which I don't anticipate him doing. I think that'd be a silly idea. But in general, the stars are seemingly aligning. But again, it all depends on what Bo Nix does. And again, we are operating under some type of assumption and just reading tea leaves and Nix's um, return to the bowl game and other things that we've heard that there's a, a decent chance that he comes back for the next year at Oregon, which would be great under a Will Stein offense because I think he fits it pretty damn well. Um, I'm interested to see what type of players potentially from UTSA follow Will Stein. I think they're I don't, again, I'm not, not reporting anything. Don't aggregate me, my Bill Simmons quote. Um, but there's some talent down there. And as we've seen with uh, Arizona, whose wide receiver's name, I can't remember, not Dorian Singer. Um, oh, the Jacob, other, the, Jacob, Jacob Cowing. Jacob Cowing from UTEP. There, you, we've seen that there is a lot of talent down in Conference USA. And with the two wide receivers that uh, UTSA had this past year, Oregon's in need of depth at wide receiver, someone to pair with Troy Franklin this upcoming season. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see if Stein tries to bring on any other personnel from UTSA, uh, maybe a coach, maybe wide receivers, whatever the case may be. Um, but overall, I mean, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited to talk to him. I mean, just to get um, some more pictures of him would be great in our database because we only have one. Granted, it's a great picture of him. If I were if I were Will Stein and I saw that picture of, of my face splattered on the internet, I'd, I'd be pretty okay with it. But um, <laughs> that that's all I got. Hudson Card, maybe we'll see. You know, and, and just to kind of wrap this conversation here, because again, we're gonna I believe return in about five hours to to recap what the first day of the transfer portal window looks like for Oregon, et cetera. But you know, I, I do think, you know, I brought up the Hudson Card part. I, I do think there will be some roadrunner players 
that would maybe at least give Oregon some consideration. And we saw it, we see it across the country with new position coaches popping up at schools. We saw it at Oregon in several spots, even last year, right? I mean, we had Bo Nix with Kenny Dillingham had that history. Noah Whittington had Carlos Lachlan had that history. Uh, you had Christian Gonzalez with history with Demetrius Martin. You had both Casey Rogers and Jordan Riley with Tony Tuioti. Like about half of the kids they brought in through the portal last year are players whose position coach had then gone to Oregon um, to take over. So it would make sense if there are some carryovers like that. Um, I don't know to, to the bringing a, a coach over, I'm guessing that coach would come over in an analyst role, unless there was some sort of agreement coming in that mm -hmm. Stein wanted to bring one of his guys over. I would imagine Dan would be somewhat resistant to that. He's already sort of shouted out all the position coaches who are going to help coach the bowl game. And it would be weird yeah. for him to be like, yeah, Junior Adams, he's great. But by the way, he's gone. We're bringing in Will's guy from UTSA. Yeah. Um, in part because, I mean, not to diminish coaches at a lower level, but for the most part, you've got the guys who are rising like a Will Stein. And then you have, but the guys at the bigger schools from a position coach perspective, most of the time are going to be, are going to be the best guy. I think Oregon has good position yep. coaches on offense. I don't know if there's going to be an improvement unless there's just a guy that Will says, he's got to be with me. I need him here to mm -hmm. have success. So um, I wouldn't anticipate too much from a coaching perspective coming over unless Oregon is to, in future days, lose out on uh, an assistant coach of some kind going somewhere else, which could always very, very well happen. I'm sure he'll, he'll clearly have a role in, in filling out any staff that he needs to replace. But right now there, there isn't any as far as we know. So um, keep it on duck territory for further updates on anything staff related. Um, keep it here for transfer portal news. Again, we'll be keeping things uh, updated throughout the day. Justin Flo has announced he's entering the portal as of about what, 30 minutes before we started recording. So in the last yeah. hour um, that brings Oregon to 10 in the portal. We'll see how many more we've got on our list later on. We should also note there's been several walk-ons that have entered the portal that we maybe haven't written stories on on the site. We're aware of those players. They'll be on some sort of master list, but we're only going to be writing out um, guys on scholarship just because otherwise we'd be spending all day doing content. And I should note, I am a little bit annoyed with Will Stein, Jared. Just Very just, annoyed. Because Very I, had, I, I had – completed a Dan Laning, here's what he says about the offensive coordinator search story, was about to hit publish, checked the Slack channel, saw that they'd already hired somebody before I finished the story. I still wrote the story because shoot, I spent like an it hour an hour on it. Sit there forever. Yeah, it's but it doesn't it doesn't matter because the story's first sentence was like something along the lines of and Dan doesn't really have an idea of when the hire is going to be made. And then the hire was made before I had published. So um well, right that, that's that's disappointing, but uh, I won't hold it against him too much longer. Unless you've got anything else, Jared, I think we can uh, we can wrap this one. Um, yeah, I'll just say that I'm mildly annoyed by Will Stein as well. Um, woke up today expecting there to be a lot of transfer portal news and expecting it to be a busy day at the office because of that. Um, turns out it became a busy day at the office for Will Stein and Transfer Portal News. Um, not a whole lot for Transfer Portal News for yeah. Oregon, which we'll, we'll uh, capture in, in a later later time today in another podcast. Um, nothing else, you know, Justin Verlander to the Mets, Trey Turner to the Phillies. Another reason to, to not like Will Stein today because there's baseball news going around, which, which happens so very rarely um, during the offseason like this. So, 
you know, Will Stein will hate you for, for the next six hours. But uh, once we meet you, we'll, we'll be, I don't know, maybe we'll be big fans of you. Maybe we won't. Yeah, maybe he'll say something that really disappoints us right away. We'll just continue disliking. Yeah. That won't happen. Uh, Matt Prem will be back on the show later. He's in, like I said earlier, he's on a flight from L.A. up to Eugene. Um, we'll be back, I think, at 5 p.m. We're discussing and probably will make it a live stream. So for anybody who wants to spend their dinner hours with us, you can. We'll be breaking down everything portal. Getting, I'm assuming we'll get some Matt's thoughts on Stein Heyer since he's not on the show to share them because he's flying. But um, I think that's it for this emergency. I never get to host the emergency podcast, but here I am doing it. Dream come true. But this emergency podcast is wrapping up uh, for Jared Mack. I'm Eric Scopel. We'll talk to you folks later. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.